0: Well, I think part of the dialogue around Chavis as well, as he sends a flare out to right, Frazier's got a lot of ground to cover. It bounces past him. Here comes Devers to score. Chavis is on his way to third. He nailed it. The ball finds you. And for Clint Frazier, tonight has not been his night. He's had three balls that have been misplayed. It's a difficult play for him to get to, but it's just how he reads it once it bounces. And this is just a guy who misunderstands how to play the position and where the ball's going to spin. Anything that's tailing towards the line will continue after it bounces to go towards the line. And he played that like it was going to come straight up towards him. He simply has played three singles into two triples and a double. Yankee and Big Blue Nation, welcome to this installment of the Big Blue Pinch Tries podcast. I am Joe Butkerite. I am your host. Got a lot to talk about this week. It was another good week for the Yankees. I want to just make everybody aware that I am recording this on Wednesday night um, after both games against the Blue Jays this week, which we won't talk about in this episode. We'll talk about next week. Uh, The reason I'm doing this is because... We found out there was mold in my house, so we actually had to pretty much pack up, take the kids, and ship off to my parents. So I'm a little couple days late in recording, but I still got everything that I need to talk about about last week. The Yankees played uh, six games. They played three games against the Padres, three games against the Red Sox, Was one being rained out. Uh, it was supposed to be a seven-game week, but got cut short. One of those games against the Red Sox that got postponed will be made up in a uh split admission double header on August third so we don't have to worry about that one for a while and it actually works out because that one we're gonna have some of our big guns back hopefully hopefully we don't lose more by that time. But anyway, uh thanks for tuning in. I uh, just want to let everybody know um, I had a new series that launched this week on Patreon. Uh every series now I'm gonna be doing a uh preview for each Yankee series and I'm also gonna be doing it for Giants games uh be doing a preview the, the Giants game previews will be a little bit more in-depth because uh, there's not as many. Uh, frankly, there's a lot of Yankee games and a lot of Yankee series uh, and a lot of research that needs to go into it a lot more frequently. So it'll be a little bit shorter. Uh, the Giants ones will be a, bit, a, little, a little bit longer. But I, I posted the first one uh, leading up into the series they're currently in against the Blue Jays. Uh, so head on over to patreon.com slash bigbluepinstripes and check that out. First couple will be free. Uh, Free to the public for everyone to see, then moving forward it will be available to patrons only Uh, So if you like what you hear, like what you see, you kind of get some interest in what I'm saying, learning new things uh, Go ahead, sign up be a patron, Uh, pretty cool, you get some cool perks um, And it's patreon.com slash big blue pinstripes But anyways, let's get into it as I've been preaching for as long as this podcast has been running, the the biggest thing for the Yankees to do is to win series. And that's what they're doing after defeating both the Padres and the Red Sox in series. They won two of three from each. They extended their streak to nine straight series wins. However, since I'm recording this on Wednesday, I have watched the first two games against the Blue Jays, and they lost both. So that streak is going to come to an end now. But like I said, we'll talk about that next week because... <laughs> That doesn't make me happy. That team sucks and they're getting just absolutely rocked. Anyways, this is actually a positive episode because the Yankees played well last week. Uh, the Yankees all except for Clint Frazier. Yeah, Clint fucking Frazier, he can get traded. I hope they trade him. I think he's got a bat worthy of being traded and I think he can be I think he can be a premier piece in a package to bring in a, you know, stud pitcher. Um, or, you know, just a good pitcher. It doesn't have to be a superstar. It doesn't have to be Max Scherzer. The Nats have been rolling lately, so it's not looking like Max Scherzer is going to be made available. So hopefully, hopefully they start losing again because I would love to have a chance to make a run at him. But as of right now, it looks like they've kind of turned it around a little bit. They've won, I think, 9 of 11 or, or something like that. Um, so they've kind of got back in the race. So the, the Max Scherzer sweepstakes looks like it's not going to be happening this year. For now, um, Clint Frazier is really hurting this team. I mean, he made some crucial, crucial errors in right field on Sunday, and Sunday's loss to the Red Sox, as you heard in the intro, it was it was absurd. I mean, he's missing fly balls. He can't he can't figure out where the ball is going to bounce. He doesn't understand how to read a, a ball coming straight at him, which is. To be honest, the hardest ball to read. However, these guys are professionals. You should you should be able to do that by now. You've always been an outfielder. It's not like you're transitioning to the outfield. You came up as an outfielder. You should know how to read a baseball coming out to the outfield. You've been doing this for 20 years. I mean, that's what you do. That's what you've made your whole life doing, and you cannot do it, and I don't know why. And the fact that there's so many injuries on this team, they keep having to put him in the outfield, and it, it's... Uh, they've been winning despite him in the outfield all this time, and it finally caught up to them in that game. And we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. The good news is it, it appears that Giancarlo Stanton's going to be coming back soon, which those are words that I never thought were going to come out of my mouth because I'm not a Stanton fan, but he's a better outfielder than, than Frazier, and frankly, he's a better bat than Frazier, and I think that's going to improve everything. But for now, it's, it's the Clint Fraser show in the outfit. He's got to figure something out because he it, it is, oh, my God, I was getting so angry. I, I was screaming at the TV watching this guy. I mean, you've you're, you got balls coming at you with runners on base, and you're not even close to making a play on a ball, and you dive for it, the ball lands five feet away from you, bounces to the wall, turns into a two-run triple for no reason. I mean, it could have been, you know, first and second, or bases loaded, you know, something like that without any run scoring. However, you're allowing two runs to score and another run to get, you know, within 90 feet of home plate. What are you doing? Like, it's not like... It wasn't really that close. Like, I mean, we can see it. I mean, I guess it's harder when you're on the field. I don't know. But you can see it on TV. The second I saw him leave his feet, I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? You're not even close to that. How the hell are you going to catch this ball? And then you're playing You're playing a corner outfield position, so there's really no one backing you up. I mean, the center fielder's got to run half of the outfield to get over to where you are. So the fact that the uh, I think it was Michael Chavis that hit one of them and maybe Benintendi that hit another. Um, I don't know. There were so many balls that went to Clint Frazier that he missed that I'd lose track of who hit what, but it, it turned. I'm amazed they didn't have three inside the park home runs. It's baffling. But despite that, they won two of three from San Diego early in the week and then two of three from Boston later in the week. Um, it would be nice to have swept one or both of them, which, frankly, the the series to sweep would have been San Diego because the Yankees are just far superior to San Diego. However, they had that one game that just, it's, it's baseball. I mean, you're going to lose games. It's—it's it's, You play way too many games to win them all, so it, it's going to happen. It just sucks that it happens to the bad teams. But, I mean, they did what they had to do. Also, on on a positive note, we did get James Paxton back. He came in uh, on Wednesday, got the start, was activated from the IL, got the start, uh, was on a pitch limit, obviously, coming back from uh, the injury. But he looked great. He looked as if he never left. They just didn't want to let him pitch too much. Really is all that it looked like. Uh, he, he threw four innings of no-hit baseball. Uh, struck out seven, walked two, threw 60 pitches. He ended up winning the game. Um, he was just looking awesome. I mean, his curveball was really sharp, uh, producing a lot of swings and misses. His fastball was up 95-plus like it was before he got hurt. It just looked like he didn't miss a beat. Looked like the injury was as minor as everyone thought it was. Just took a little bit of time for him to get comfortable, you know, mentally to go 100% and give everything he had. And he obviously got to that point. Was comfortable throwing, and he looked he looked like Paxton. You kind of knew when you made that trade that you weren't going to get 200 innings innings out of him. He's not a 200 innings guy. I think he threw 160 innings last year, which was a career high for him. I mean, he's he's a big guy. He's He's CC a little thinner, and guys like that are going to get hurt. They're just too big to be playing a sport like this. Um, It's not football where these guys are ridiculous, just freak athletes. I mean, these guys are, to be honest, most of them look like everybody else, Um, every one of us, but they're just, some of them have been gifted a magical arm or the ability to swing a bat, things like that. So guys that big in this game are going to get hurt. The, the big thing is to limit them to minor injuries and no you know nothing like what Luis Severino's going through and he's gonna miss God knows how long uh, they're thinking he's gonna be back hopefully shortly after the all-star break. But for James Paxton, uh, he looked good and hopefully he's here to stay and if he is, it's it's looking good because it was they were hurting. I mean they were winning games in his absence. I think he missed two or three starts, which Chad Green was an opener for, which they were winning the games. However, you can't sustain that over the course of a season. I mean, you the the amount of wear and tear you're putting on your bullpen arms is just not sustainable. I mean, you need those five starters and you need pretty much four of the five in each rotation to go at least five, six innings. You know, you're gonna have that one bad start where your guy just gets blown up and you gotta take him out in the third with you know, one out in the third those are going to happen. But if you can go through every rotation with at least four guys going five, six innings, you'll be all right. The problem is we, you know, the last three weeks, we've only had four guys starting. So that fifth game was obviously a bullpen game. So then you needed the other four guys to give you that five, six innings. And that's that's a lot to ask for. I mean, guys are going to have bad days. It's, that's just the way it is. And, I mean, they're going if they're healthy, you're going to start 33 times. You're not going to throw 33 shutouts. So you're going to have bad days. And when you have openers going every fifth day, that's uh, that, that's hard hard to overcome. So good good to see him back. Also coming up this week, this upcoming week um, on Friday is what we're looking at for Didi Gregorius to make his return. That's exciting. That's really exciting for me because I hate seeing Luke Voigt at first base. So in an ideal world, you could see Rochelle stay at third. Didi will. Re- return to shortstop, labor Torres will move back to second, Lemehi will be the first baseman, Luke Voigt in DH until Stanton gets back. When Stanton gets back, who knows what's going to happen. Hopefully he'll be in right field and Clint Frazier will not be playing until Judge comes back and then you got real questions. But for now, we got what I think is the perfect way to offset the return of a of a everyday player and get a defensive liability off the field in Luke Voigt, who is not quite as bad as Clint Frazier, but he's pretty bad. Uh, he's he's not good and we'll talk about it next week because he made some bad bad plays tonight against toronto which really cost them the game so we'll talk about that next week but dd should be coming back soon uh aaron judge has been taking indoor batting practice Uh, hopefully he's going to be moving outside taking live batting practice this week move to some simulated games then a rehab stint and then they're kind of eyeing him to come back in the end of june which would be awesome especially when he had an injury that really had no timetable for return. So if he can get back at any point before the All-Star break, that's a huge, huge win in my books. Okay, so I am going to take some time today to talk about Dallas Kike a little bit. Um, He is ideally going to be signing probably this week. Everybody was waiting for the first-year player draft to begin because if you sign a player who was extended the qualifying offer by his previous his current team at the time, but his previous team now. So the Astros extended him a qualifying offer. He declined it. So with that happening, any team that wanted to sign him would have had to give up a compensatory draft pick, which most teams were not willing to do, especially with the price that he was asking for uh, for his next contract. So that's kind of the reason why he has been available for so long. The combination of, you know, he's just asking for too much money for, his, his skill set. I mean, he's not the Cy Young pitcher he was in 2015. He's he's a good pitcher. He's not a top five pitcher in the American League anymore. So he's asking for too much money. And on top of that, teams aren't willing to shell out that much money while also giving up a draft pick. Now that the first year player draft has begun, and I think it's actually completed now, he can be signed with no draft pick, no nothing lost except for whatever money you pay him. And... We've already seen Craig Kimbrel sign. Uh, we'll we'll talk about where he went next week, as though though you guys probably already know. Uh, but Craig Kimball has signed, uh, so Dallas Keuchel is likely next. On just a little side note, he did say he's willing to shave his beard to join the Yankees, uh, which I think is kind of redundant because if if you've been unemployed for three months and a team comes to you with a contract for say sixteen million dollars. I mean, is your beard worth $16 million? Probably not. So I I, I think he's going to shave it. I don't think that's really a question, but it has been a story uh, among, you know, the Yankee media, which, I mean, I guess the media needs something to write about. So, but in the meantime, we're kind of awaiting his decision. And as of right now, it appears that the Yankees and the Braves are the front runners, which, If it comes down to the Yankees and the Braves offering them the same amount of money, it'll be interesting to see how much he wants to shave his beard or how much he wants to keep his beard because if they offer him the same amount of money, it's pretty much going to come down to beard or no beard because I mean, both teams are in a position to win. I would say the Yankees are more set up and constructed to win a World Series than the Braves are right now. Uh, The Braves certainly have the future for it. Uh, The Yankees are more in a World Series or bust right now so that's a little bit more enticing as well as, you know, wearing the pinstripes. Wearing the pinstripes is, is enticing for players. Uh, free agents want to wear the pinstripes. F- kids dream of playing for the Yankees. Like, that's a, that's a real thing. I mean, that's not just one person saying something like, kids dream of playing for the Yankees. Just like in football, you dream of playing for the Cowboys. I, 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 as much as that sucks to say. Um, when you're a kid, especially in my generation, when you grew up in the 90s, uh, the Cowboys were a big thing. So, and you know basketball players want to play for the Lakers uh, that's just the way it is I mean those are the teams that are worth the most money in their sport and those are the teams that kids dream of playing for players want to play for the Yankees they just do so that's a big factor and the fact that the Yankees are really fucking good is also a big factor um, they're missing how many players in their in, in first place in their division which we we can continuously harp on but it's it's the truth and when these guys come back, it's going to be pretty cool to see what what happens. So for Keuchel, I'm 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 not 100 percent sure what I want them to do. So this is where I'm at. So the rotation, as it's currently constructed, is Tanaka, Paxton, Hap, Herman, Cece. All right, so you got two righties and three lefties, with Tanaka and Herman being the righties, the others the other three being the lefties. Obviously, Herman is in his first full season starting so he's pretty much got an innings limit I'm not sure what that number is whether it's 150 125 whatever it is he's throwing roughly 70 innings now so he's roughly halfway there and we're certainly not halfway through the season so he's gonna miss time they're gonna his starts are gonna get shorter further between uh, might I don't know transition to a long relief role where he's not pitching as frequently and throwing as many pitches or if they're just going to, you know, run him to the wall and then stop. I, I don't know what their plan is. They haven't said it. But there is going to be a time when Herman is not pitching. Is not pitching every fifth day like he is right now. So, in that case, they are down to four starters. Luis Severino is the big question mark. We don't know when he's coming back. How healthy is it? How healthy he is? What he's doing? Um, we know he just started playing catch. So, I mean, that's a long way from throwing 98. So, who knows how long it's going to be before he comes back. Signing Keiko right now is obviously the smart move. Uh, he's a good pitcher. He's, he's going to bring you stability. Um, he's been very, very durable in his career. I uh, Had some injuries more recently, but over the course of his career, he's been very healthy. So he, he also gives you that. And he, he's got a really good sinking fastball, which should play well in Yankee Stadium. Uh, helping him keep the ball on the ground, he he's kind of been more of a fly ball pitcher over the course of his career, which is a little strange. But I think he can, with the use of that pitch, I think he can change that if he needed to. Houston is a gigantic ballpark, so it kind of played into his hand to let the ball go in the air and just let his defense go to work. In the, in the Bronx, I mean, the the ballpark is a lot smaller, so if he can use that pitch to his advantage, keep the ball down and preferably away, and you know, keep the batters keep the ball on the ground. It's, it's going to play well, and I think he can be very effective. Kind of like Zach Britton. Zach Britton has the same pitch. Basically, he throws it a little bit harder. Uh, Keiko doesn't hit 97 anymore. But it's it's effective if used correctly. So I think he could fit well in Yankee Stadium. My only concern is if you take Herman out of the picture, take away Severino at this point, and look at the rotation with Keiko. you got Tanaka. You got Paxton, Hat, CeCe, Keichel. So you got a righty and four lefties. I don't really like that. Um, teams are built to beat left handed pitchers. That's just kind of what you do. You, you want to play well against righties and just beat up on lefties. Obviously, you got the Clayton Kershaws, the Madison Bumgarners that kind of offset that. But for the most part, you're building your, your offense to, to beat up on lefties. That's what you do. That's why you see right-handed hitters just destroy lefties. That's why lefty, lefties in the bullpen are generally left-handed specialists. They come in to face left-handed batters. That's, it's, that's an issue. Um, obviously, when you're a starter, you're equipped to get both righties and lefties out. I understand that. We all get that. But it does make a difference. And lefties tend to have higher ERAs than righties do. It's just the nature of the business. And... The positive side of it, I guess, is if you're going to see more right-handed hitters in the lineup, it could necessarily take out the, the short right-field wall. I don't know. A lot of right-handed power hitters can go the other way. So I don't know if that really matters, but that's one way you can look at it. On the other side, I mean, it's just you want to have five healthy pitchers. You want to have five healthy pitchers, and regardless of, of what hand they throw with. If you got five healthy pitchers that can go out there every day, and give you, you know, five, six innings, like I said, and you can get your horses to give you seven or eight, you're in good shape. However, I, I'm i in the position where I would rather sit back and get a pitcher at the trade deadline. Whether it's Max Scherzer or not, there are going to be pitchers available. The problem is the, the biggest name outside of Scherzer, who isn't really in the trade rumors because we don't know if the Nats are going to make him available. So really the biggest name that we know Will be available as Madison Bumgarner, another lefty. I like Bumgarner more than I like Keikel mainly because of Bumgarner's success in the pl- in the playoffs. He is a playoff machine. He's a World Series. He, he's a one one man juggernaut in the World Series. Uh, he just is. He's been there three times. Like he knows how to win in it. He he starts games. He wins games. He closes games. He ends the series with the ball in his hand. I I want that. The Yankees don't have that right now. They have CC, who's done it, but other other than that, I mean, they don't have that World Series experience and pedigree on this team like they did, you know, in years past. So having a guy like that with that experience, with that uh, ability to be so dominant on the biggest stage, whether he's throwing 99 or 93, I want that because it's not like he doesn't know how to pitch. He might not be able to to blow you away like he did three years ago before all these injuries, but he knows how to pitch and he's pitching pretty well this year. He's not you know the the 240 ERA with you know 230 strikeouts, but he's he's been pretty good and he's on a bad team so that also makes it look worse than it really is. If signing Dallas Keuchel keeps you away from from pursuing a, a stud pitcher at the trade deadline, i'm not, I'm against that. I don't I don't want them to sacrifice the ability to get a, a true, true difference maker because they signed Keiko. I just don't. Because let's be honest, I think the Yankees have the ability to get whoever becomes available, the Yankees will have the build, the ability to get whoever they want. They have the pack they have the the assets to build a package that they can send to anybody and beat any offer. They just can't. They have a really good farm system. They are grooming a lot of trade chips this year with the success that they're having without you know the Aaron Judges of the world in the lineup. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are on the field right now that won't have jobs in two months that are building a resume that the Yankees can use to trade. Clint Frazier, all of his defense aside, is a really really good hitter. He's a high I mean, his average is roughly 275 this year, but he's I mean he's capable of hitting 300 with more experience and more regular at-bats and he's a 30 he can be a 30 plus home run guy steal 10 15 bases he's he's a good hitter he's he's a guy that a lot of teams will covet Domingo Herman is a guy that a lot of teams will covet based on the success he's had this year he's got a a limit this year so he's not going to provide teams aren't going to look for him to provide you know playoff assistance this year but usually the teams that are buying aren't going to the playoffs anyway or are selling their players aren't going to go to the playoffs anyway. So sending Herman is going to be a good trade chip to bring somebody back that's really, really good. You also got Esteban Florial, the Yankees' number one prospect, who's roughly, I think, like, right around 40-ish uh, overall prospect in baseball. Very, very good outfielder, five-tool guy. Uh, got speed, got power, average, defense, everything. Um, don't want to move him. But the Yankees are so stacked in the outfield. I mean, they got so many outfielders. They got Aaron Hicks. They got Brett Gardner. They got Clint Frazier. They got Cameron Maybin now, who, I mean, he's not really a, a steadfast in the, on this team. They got Aaron Judge. They got Giancarlo Stanton. They got Jacoby Ellsbury, wherever the fuck he is getting hurt somewhere. He hasn't been on the field in three years, but he keeps fucking getting hurt. I don't know how. But they still have him on, on the on the payroll. I mean, there's, there's so many outfielders. Esteban, a guy like Esteban's L'Oreal is expendable is i mean and and let's be honest i mean there's outfield available every year in free agency if the yankees need one they can get one i mean it's outfield is a luxury that the yankees have plenty of and if you can move like the the package that i've been talking about if you can move clint frazier domingo Herman and Esteban florio which i don't think you will need all three i think two would be enough two of those three and send them to the Nats for or for Max Scherzer. I mean, you're taking a big contract off the book, so the package you send them doesn't have to be excellent. It just has to be very good. So I think the Yankees can get whatever pitcher they want at the trade deadline. So signing Keuchel to me isn't as much of a, a a must as a lot of other Yankee fans make it seem to be. It would help. Certainly would help. Couldn't hurt. And having too many pitchers can't be a bad thing. But when you have pitchers like the Yankees have who are all veterans, I mean, you got CC, who's this is his last year. He's retiring. He's not going to want to not start. You got Tanaka, who's really the ace right now. i uh, been here for five years, and he's not going to not start. James Paxson is the, the big acquisition you made when you traded for him from Seattle. He's not going to not start. Jay Happ is. Thirty-six years old, he sucks. But for some reason, the Yankees wanted to give him a bunch of money. Um, he's not going to want to not start. You know, uh, Dallas Keuchel comes in here. He's not going to want to not start. Luis Severino's healthy. He is not going to not start. You, you're going to have too many veteran slash ace personalities that are are going to clash, and somebody's going to be unhappy unless there just happens to be a certain amount of injuries at each given time that just opens the door to have five at once it's you can't plan for that you got to plan for everyone being healthy and if everyone's healthy if they sign Keikel then you really got six or seven pitchers, and then you really can't get anyone at the trade deadline because you can't make you can't get eight or nine starters what are you going to do with them i mean you can't send them down to the minors so what are you going to do i personally i i say hold off on Keikel get someone at the trade deadline but then again you don't know who's going to be available at the trade deadline so it's it's interesting i'm excited to see what they're going to do I'm I'm really excited. I, I have a lot, a lot of faith in Brian Cashman. I think he's the best GM in baseball. I think he's very, very underrated and underappreciated for what he does. Um, obviously, he's one of the biggest general managing names across the game, but I, I think a lot of people don't respect him as much as they should because he has so much money to to use at his disposal, and he can get free agents that other teams can't get and entice players with big contracts that other teams can't do. But I I also think at the same time he's really really good at his job. I mean, look at the team that he's put together this year that's doing what they're doing with let's be honest, the big payroll guys aren't there. So, it's you got to give him credit. I I appreciate him. I've been a huge huge fan of him for a long time. I I love him. I I wish he could be the general manager of the Giants. I, I don't know how much he knows about football, but if if he doesn't stick to baseball, stick with what you're good at, and and he's excellent, so I, I trust him, I I have faith in him. I well I I didn't like the J Hap signing, but that it is what it is. I mean, he if you're gonna give any kudos to Jay Happ, it's how he performed in his whatever it was two month or six week interview down the stretch last season where he was phenomenal. I mean, he was phenomenal for the Yankees last year. He really was, and. I didn't think that that was possible cuz he was never that good in 12 years as a pro. I don't know how long he's been in the big leagues. I think like 2007ish. So like 12 or 13 years he's been mediocre and then the Yankees traded for him and he was phenomenal. Down the stretch in a, a pennant race or a uh, division race trying to get the team to, you know, to the World Series to win a pennant and he was phenomenal. So that interview, that six week six to eight week interview was excellent. He he crushed it. And the Yankees rewarded him for it. So I, what are you going to do? But outside of that, I mean, Cashman really hasn't made a bad move. I mean, how however he finagled St. Louis to giving him Luke Voigt, I never understand. And getting Gio Urshela from Toronto and, you know, signing Mabin, who has been very contributive to this team, if that's a word. It's, it's impressive what he's doing, getting Paxton. I, I wasn't huge on that just because of his injury history. I obviously like him as a pitcher. He's excellent as a pitcher when he's healthy. He's you know one of the best lefties in Major League Baseball. But the injury concern scared me. However, I, I can't knock him. I mean, he, he's good. I mean, like I said, you don't plan for injuries. You know certain guys have injury history, but you don't plan for that. I mean, you go and get the best players. You go and get the players who you think can help your team win when they're on the field. And when he's on the field, he's... He's going to help you win. He's very, very good at what he does, so you can't knock him for that. Like I said, I have faith in him. I trust him. I'm really, really interested to see what happens over these next couple of days in the Dallas Keuchel sweepstakes. Uh, we'll see We'll see where he goes. Um, we'll see if the beard really plays a part because a lot of people want to think that it does. As always, this episode of Big Blue Pinstriars Podcast is brought to you by draft.com. The DFS site that gives you a daily snake draft for all the fantasy geeks out there that love their snake drafts. If you are good at your season-long fantasy football leagues, this site is perfect. You get daily snake drafts, you get daily winnings, you get smaller groups, smaller pots. However, it's easier to win and it's more fun. You get the draft every day. You get a different team than everybody in your group, which is a lot better than those other sites where you have a salary cap. And you're picking play, players based on value and cost. And frankly, a lot of people have the same team. So even if you do win, you're splitting with 55 other people. So it's not as exciting. This, however, every Draft.com, everybody has a different team, smaller pots. You get to draft a new team every day. And I gotta tell you, it's a blast. I, I do it every single day. And I do multiple, multiple lineups every day. If I'm bored, got a little itch to, you know, play some fantasy sports, get on there, sign up for a draft. You know, you can pretty much enter a draft and start drafting immediately, and they're usually done in 5 to 10 minutes, and it, it's so much fun. If you sign up using promo code Nerds N-E-R-D-Z, you'll get free entry into a $3 contest of your choice after your first deposit. So head on over to Draft.com, sign up using promo code Nerds N-E-R-D-Z, and draft your team today. All right, so before we get into the studs of the week, uh, got a little wanted to talk a little bit of Giants uh, for a minute. Uh, don't have a whole lot. Uh, OTAs just began. Um, not much going on on the field other than just basically players getting to know each other, getting comfortable, getting uh, building that chemistry, especially you know quarterbacks, receivers, uh, linemen, uh, defensive backs, uh, just everybody building chemistry, learning to play together as a team, and frankly learning learning a playbook for most of the players that are new. Other than that, it's not a whole lot, and it's not much to report about, but one thing I did want to mention, uh, the most tantalizing figure in New York right now is Daniel Jones, and he, by all accounts, has looked phenomenal at OTAs. It looks like he's basically going to be the best quarterback in this year's draft, which basically what I'm watching, what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, uh, the the clips that are posted, obviously they're posting highlights but not always they are posting some low lights uh they are showing the picks the the fumbles you know the bad plays so you're not just seeing the best plays you're seeing most mostly all of them and he looks great um he's got a strong arm which was kind of the knock against him saying that his arm wasn't strong enough for the nfl i don't see that in every clip that i see he's throwing corner routes out routes and he's you know zipping the ball to the sideline like any other quarterback in the nfl does he looks fine and he's he's Big enough to the point where I don't really understand why they thought that. I mean, I guess they have tape on him at uh, Duke showing that his arm wasn't strong enough or something. I don't know, but uh, whatever he did in the draft season and the off season must have worked because it doesn't look like it's a it's a deficiency now. It looks like he's going to be fine with when it comes to arm strength, and he's got one of the the best deep ball passers in you know this generation and Eli in his prime. Was an excellent, excellent deep ball passer. Uh, that's he. That's how he made his name. Uh, the Kevin Gilbride system of years past was sit in the pocket as long as you can and wait till someone gets open downfield and hit him. So I mean, and he was one of the best to do it. So it's a, he's a good mentor for him. He's going to teach him how to use that arm strength to his advantage. And the one thing that Eli cannot teach him is how to use his legs, and he is using his legs really, really well. Uh, he's got some speed. He's he's not fast. I mean, he's not Deshaun Watson or anything like that. But he's got legs. He's I mean, I can see him growing into an Aaron Rodgers type runner. Um, don't mistake me for saying he's got Aaron Rodgers' arm uh, attached to his shoulder. But I I can see him being an Aaron Rodgers type runner. Which if if that's the case, if he comes into you know his prime with legs like that, the ability to Move around in the pocket as well as get out of the pocket and and ideally make throws on the run. The Yankees made, the, or excuse me, the Giants made the right choice. Uh, he's if if that's the case, they made the right choice. He's going to be good, and I still think he's going to be good either way. I think the more I'm watching, the more I'm reading, the more I listen to him in interviews. I really really like him. I I'm I'm still not so sure they needed to pick him at six, but the quarterback. Position is the most important position in all of professional sports. So if you have the opportunity to get your guy, the guy that you think is going to be the guy that wins you Super Bowls, or as Saquon Barkley stated in, in an interview, win two Super Bowls, you, you go get him. And the more, like I said, the more I'm reading, the more I'm seeing, I'm, I'm less angry about that pick and, and happy they got him because I think he's going to be pretty good. He might not be the best player in the league, at any point, but I think he's going to be the best quarterback to come out of this class, which would be a big deal. If that's the case, that's, that's, that, that's a win for the Giants. If they get the best quarterback in the class, that's a win. Regardless of who you think they could have gotten at 6, who you think would have made it to, 17. Or if they could have traded up to 13 or 14 and got him, it doesn't matter. If you hit on the quarterback position, you are going to be fine. The rest of the draft does not matter. And as of right now, we are on episode 7. I have turned the tables. I believe in Daniel Jones. I think he's the guy. I think he's going to win two Super Bowls, and I think he is going to basically put Dave Gettleman on a pedestal that he believes he's already on. I think that that player is going to attach to Dave Gettleman and provide him a legacy that he so strongly covets. I think he is going to be the Eli Manning to Ernie Accorsi. He is. I I think he's going to be really good, and I'm loving everything I see. So I I just wanted to mention that. Other than that, there's not a whole lot going on at, at OTAs. Um, it's just it's just not that exciting. I mean, it's exciting to have football back, but you you know you get up for the first or second OTA, and then beyond that, it's like all right, this is boring. Let's move on. Let's let's get to training camp. Let's get to hard knocks that I've never seen, but the Giants may be involved in. And let's get to preseason while there's still four preseason games, because by the sound of it, in a couple years, there's going to be two. Um, everything that I'm reading and hearing says that in the 2021, I guess, revision to the CBA when the previous CBA expires and they have to agree on a new one, that there's going to be a strong, strong push to uh, extend the season to 18 games and cut the preseason from four to two, which would provide the NFL with more money. Let's make the rich richer. How about it? Because that doesn't happen anywhere else as I'm swimming in debt because the fucking tax laws changed. But anyway, but outside of the usual monotony of training camp or not training camp, OTAs, uh, Daniel Jones is is excelling, and man, I'm I'm getting I'm getting giddy for this season. I really am. I wasn't expecting to. I was very dejected when the Odell Beckham Jr. trade occurred, when Landon Collins left. I was very dejected, very very down as a fan and not interested at all. I'm interested again. I am giddy. I cannot wait to watch Daniel Jones. And this is coming from probably one of the biggest Eli Manning supporters you will ever meet. I'm not sure there's more than three people on this planet that believe and love Eli Manning more than I do. I've said this before. My son's middle name is Eli. That's my guy. I love Eli Manning. He's the greatest quarterback the Giants have ever had. I think, in my opinion, he is a first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Famer based on what he has done in, in those two magical playoff runs. Um, one playoff run doesn't make you a Hall of Famer. Doing it twice, I think, makes you a Hall of Famer. It just does. I mean, you look at guys that are in the Hall of Fame, and I have a lot of family and friends that are Jets fans, and they live and die by Joe Namath. If you look at Joe Namath's numbers, he was not good. He just wasn't. I mean, he has more picks than touchdowns. If you want to talk shit about someone that throws picks, Eli has more touchdowns than picks. I mean, he had two or three bad interception seasons where it kind of bloated those numbers up to make it look worse than it is. And if you actually went through, if you can make a a video just showing every pick that he's he's thrown, a lot of those picks were not his fault. And I know you can say that about a lot of people, but I'm not talking about not his fault as in it was a, a a good throw that the defender just cut in front of. No, I'm talking about hit the receiver in the hands and bounced up in the air and was intercepted. Not necessarily being batted down by the lineman because I think that's that's a quarterbacking issue. When it's when it hits the receiver in the hands, bounces up in the air, and then it's just a free for all. And I, I swear to God, every time, every time an Eli Manning thrown ball gets batted into the air, it's picked. It doesn't matter. Whenever the opposing team against the Giants ball gets batted in the air, it is never picked. So I don't I don't know if his his ball just doesn't bounce the right way. I don't know. But every single time he hits a receiver in the hands, it bounces up in here, it's picked. And that happened a lot. So you can say what you want about the numbers. His numbers are better than some current Hall of Famers. And he's 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 a Hall of Famer in my book. He just is. I mean, he's, he's good. He brought a, a franchise from nothing to being a perennial Super Bowl contender for virtually a 10-year window there's no there's no denying that they're not a super bowl contender now but in his in his run between 2006 and 2014 i mean they were super bowl contenders every year they just were they went into the season with super bowl aspirations and they got there twice and they won both times and they beat in my opinion they beat the best team to ever step on a football field in the 2007 patriots that team is the best team to ever play football They just are. I don't care about the 72 Dolphins that actually finished undefeated. The 2007 Patriots, the best team to ever step on the field. And Eli beat them. And you can say what you want about the defense, which is everybody's argument. But that defense in both of those Super Bowl years were not good. They had really, really good games in the Super Bowl. But over the course of that season and even in the playoff runs leading up to the Super Bowl, they were average, below average. In 2011, they were terrible. Uh, they were, I think, 27th in the league in 2011. So he was winning those games despite the defense. So that argument is tired, and don't even bring it up to me because I will just destroy you with facts about the mediocre defenses. They just had a good game plan against Tom Brady because they had good defensive lines. But the the, the back half of the, the both of those defenses sucked. They just sucked. So, I don't I don't care what anybody says. Eli won those Super Bowls. You can say what you want about the helmet catch, that that was a lucky catch. Okay, he got out of the sack. All right, and it wasn't you know a lineman pushing him out. I mean, I don't know if it was David Deal, Chrisney, that they weren't they were fifteen yards away from the pile. They they were just standing there watching. And so he got out of the would be sack and saw a guy to throw it to. The fact that he caught it on his helmet isn't his fault. I mean, the throw hit him in the hands. He just couldn't catch it out in front of him. That was not Eli's fault. And then the throw to Mario Manningham is one of the best throws in Super Bowl history. And that throw was absolutely perfect. If you put a dime on the 40-yard line, Eli hit that dime from the goal line. Which I that was amazing. That was amazing. Mario Manningham had to catch that ball. He had he didn't have a choice. If he would have dropped that ball, he would go down in infamy as as ruining one of the best throws in Super Bowl history. So he had to catch it and he did. So everyone says great catch, great catch. Okay, it was a better fucking throw. I don't I don't care what you think. That was a phenomenal throw. And both of those plays led them to Super Bowls that let's be honest, the defense did what the defense does, but the the Giants had to go down the field and score touchdowns on both of those and both of those Super Bowls to win the game and he did it both times. So He's a Hall of Famer. As I get further and further into my Eli Manning tangent, I think Daniel Jones is going to be just as good. I really do. He might even be. He might even be a re- better regular season quarterback, which would lead to more playoff opportunities. And if he's anything close to what Eli Manning is in the playoffs, oh man, we're in good shape. Oh, we're in good shape. Uh, obviously, they got some building to do around him, but I really like the construction of the line now. I really like the construction of. The secondary, well, I like the I like the cornerbacks. Safeties are meh. If they would have kept Landon Collins, I'd feel a lot different. But I really like the cornerbacks that they're they're putting out there with Sam Beal, DeAndre Baker, um, in addition to to Jack Rabbit, who is meh. But if you put if you put Jack Rabbit on a team where he doesn't have to be the guy, I think he can be good. When you put him on a team and expect him to be the number one, you're going to be strongly disappointed because he's not a number one. He's just not that good. He, he, he can be good on a winning team that has help behind him, and on, with a defense, defensive line that creates a lot of pressure, he can be really, really good because if a line pressures the quarterback into making throws early or making the wrong you know read, he is one of the best cornerbacks in the league at jumping routes. That's what he's good at. The problem is when you don't have safety help, jumping routes is, you know, it's successful two out of every ten times. Those other eight times, you're going for six. So he's fine. I'm, I'm very happy with the rest of that position group. And obviously you got Saquon Barkley who if if they can figure out a way to keep him here. And if Daniel Jones hits like I think he's going to, that's gonna that's gonna lure Saquon Barkley to sign that extension, to sign a new contract, hopefully twice, stay here forever, retire, break every record, go to the Hall of Fame with two Super Bowl rings, and go down in history as hopefully the best running back to ever play the game because he has that ability. So let's make it happen. We need Daniel Jones to make it happen, and I think he's going to make it happen. <laughs> All right, and as we approach the end of this installment of the Big Blue Pinstripes podcast, we we'll are get to our favorite segment, the BBP Studs of the Week. The last couple weeks, uh, I've had three studs to give game balls to, mostly offensive players with a pitcher sprinkled in here and there. This one is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be giving out, you can call it what you want. I'm either going to be giving out one ball to a unit, or I can give out four balls to uh four different guys but they're basically getting them together Um, they can be handed their ball together they're on the podium together giving their thank you speeches together because they did this together and they won these games for us together so without further ado the bbp stud unit of the week goes to the back end of the new york yankees bullpen consisting of Adam Ottavino, Zach Britton, Tommy Canely, and Aroldis Chapman. These guys were absolutely phenomenal this week. The Yankees went 4-2, two, taking 2-3 two of three from the Padres and 2-3 of three from the Red Sox. Those four guys combined to virtually win three of those four games. Out of the four games that they won, they virtually won three on their own. I mean, obviously the starter got them the ball. The offense scored the runs to give them the lead. But these guys came in and shut it down. I mean, they were absolutely incredible over the course of the week. Between the four of them, totaled 12 innings pitched, only nine hits, no runs, 12 strikeouts, two walks. Between them, there was nine holds, and Chapman saved three games. It was just an absolute beating by the bullpen that, let, let's be honest, this bullpen was supposed to be historically good. Historically good. It was it was talked about all offseason how the Yankees had the best bullpen constructed in all of baseball history there was no bullpen that was constructed this way I mean they virtually have four closers on this on this unit and we're not we don't even have Dylan Betances yet we haven't even seen Dylan Betances yet who might be the most dirty pitcher of the bunch he might be the best the most talented pitcher of the bunch and he's not even there yet so it's awesome what these guys did this week um, Adovino has been as advertised he was the shutdown guy in Colorado, which is a tough place to pitch, and he was dominant. He came out with super, super amount of competent, confidence, and you can call it a little bit of arrogance, saying that he would strike out Ruth every time due to his fitness and uh, whatever, be as it may. I, I almost want to believe him now. I mean, his curveball moves from, from black to black. I mean, he, it starts it on the inside corner, the black, the inside black of the plate and it hooks to the outside. I mean it's unbelievable how much he makes a ball move in sixty feet and throwing it eighty eight miles an hour. I mean he literally makes the ball move sixteen inches side to side. It's it's unbelievable. And he has been as advertised, he has been as essential to this team's success as anybody else out there. And Zach Britton got off to a slow start. He's pitching very, very well again. He was awful tonight against the Blue Jays, but that's for next week's episode. This stud of the week goes for the previous week and he was excellent. And Tommy Canely has re emerged as the dominant bullpen guy that they got from the White Sox in 2017. And he has just been extremely good. I, I wasn't expecting this. I, I, I'll be honest before the season started, I didn't want him on the team. I mean, they have so many big arms and, In this bullpen, I was just like, where is Kane Lee even going to come in? When is he going to pitch? There's no reason for him to pitch. They got Adovino, they got Britton, they got Chapman, they got Batanzas, they got Green, they got Holder, they got Sessa for long relief. I mean, what do you need Kane Lee for? Why do you even need him except to, to give these guys a break so they don't pitch every day? Okay, I was wrong. Very, very wrong. This guy figured whatever he was dealing with last year, he figured it out. And he's just terrorizing hitters. And Chapman has become... A much much better pitcher than he's ever been he came into the league throwing 105 he's got the tattoo on his wrist he's he threw the fastest pitch in baseball until Jordan Hicks beat it last year and he was just overpowering people with 105 miles an hour and really didn't know where it was going he wasn't very very much in control of his pitching he didn't really have a whole lot of command he was just throwing 105 and guys you have to commit to 105 so quickly that it really doesn't matter where the ball goes. I mean, the second he releases the ball, you really have to decide whether or not you want to swing. I mean, you don't really get a chance to see where it's going. He lets go of the ball. You either swing or you don't. And he was beating hitters that way. Now, I mean, he's he's still hitting 100, 101, but it's different. I mean, he's, he's painting the corner with 101. Imagine going up to the plate and seeing 101 coming, and it's just painted on the outside corner. Just painted at will and then he turns 100 miles an hour inside painted on the inside quarter and then he drops that wicked slider that goes like 90 I mean it's not like everybody else's slider it's a 90 mile an hour slider that starts on the outside corner of the plate and hits you in the foot it's and he's doing it with ease and command and control and success he is just terrorizing hitters just like canley and just absolutely making people look stupid he's making some of the best hitters in all baseball look absolutely stupid and if he can keep that up I've, I've never been that big of a chapman guy because i like pitchers i don't like throwers he's turned into a pitcher so if he can continue that i mean he he has the ability to be the best closer in the game he's not there yet he has the ability to become the best closer in the game and he's still so young that he can do it for a long time and He's on the team that's going to give him plenty of opportunities to showcase that. So, I mean, the sky's the limit, and he was phenomenal. I mean, he went three for three in saves. I mean, they threw, between the four of them, they threw 12 innings in those six games and didn't allow a run. I mean, they were allowing nine hits, walk two, under, under one whip, a strikeout per inning, three saves, nine holds. I mean, no blown opportunities, nothing, nothing. It's amazing and like i said they they faltered tonight against toronto which is going to happen but over the course of the year i mean we're going to see more of this these four guys are probably four of the 10 best relievers in baseball i mean and and then you're going to add the to the mix this this team is stupid the only the only negative side to it is aaron boone is using them a lot and he he is i mean he's it's almost like he, he's not giving the starters enough time because he knows his bullpen is so good. So if they get into any sort of trouble in the fifth or sixth inning, he's just like, he's yanking them. And going straight to Ottavino or Canely, who are usually, between the two of them, one of them is the first one out. It's usually either canely Ottavino or Ottavino canely then Britton, then Chapman. But Aaron Boone is so willing to go to them so quickly because he knows how good they are. And I'm afraid it's going to wear them out. But... Outside of that, there is nothing else negative to say about them. These guys are dominant, they're very deserving. I think it, I think it's very deserving that they are the only ones that get a stud of the week game ball this week because there wasn't any remarkable performances on offense. Uh, I mean there's a couple guys that had good weeks, but these guys were so dominant as a unit that I felt it necessary to make them the only game ball recipients as a unit this week. So with that, other than that, I don't have anything else for you this week. Starting next week, barring anything crazy going on with my home, like I mentioned earlier in the, in the episode, I got some issues going on at the house. So I'm actually staying at my parents' house and recording in their basement. So that's a whole lot of fun. But... As, as of right now, the plan is next week to get back on schedule, so it should be a short turnaround to next week's episode. Uh, so thanks for bearing with me, and we will see you next week. As always, this episode of Big Blue Pinch Podcast brought to you by Draft.com, the daily fantasy sports app that gives you the ability to snake draft your teams every day. It's a lot of fun. I play it consistently. If you love snake drafting, if you dominate your season-long fantasy football leagues, the site is perfect. So head on over to Draft.com. Use promo code NERDS, N-E-R-D-Z, when you sign up. You get a free entry to a $3 contest after your first deposit. Sign up, draft your team, and win money today. Big Blue Stripes podcast is hosted by Joe Butkerite. It is edited by Joe Butkerite. It is produced by Joe Butkerite. And the music is by my cousin, Justin Carter. For anybody that likes new and inspiring aspiring artists, um, head on over to all of your social medias. Search him, Justin Carter Music. He's he's an awesome country singer. I, I strongly encourage you to go listen. He's very talented, great guitarist. Uh, so find him on all your social medias, Justin Carter Music.